the JTAP podcast, episode 31. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Welcome, everybody, uh, to the JTAP podcast, episode 31. Um, reached out into the index and the black book of uh, people I know. And uh, Al, I appreciate you uh, answering the call. Yeah, you're very welcome. Um, yeah, it's good, good, good to be invited. Thanks. Yeah. I'd just like to start all these things uh, by saying that everyone's opinion on here is their own, not that of any organization. Um, the idea is that is a lighthearted unveiling of the, of the community. Um, Al, obviously, we've done our research on each other. However, not, not everybody else will have had that opportunity. So you take us back to the beginning. Where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? What's the family look like? Um, what sort of education um, and what takes you to sort of signing up and deciding that you want to serve in the military? Well, it's, um, it's pretty familiar, actually. Uh, I'd say I've been listening to some of the podcasts as well, which is great. And um, yeah, recognised recognized a lot um, of what people were saying. So my, uh, my old man was in the Air Force as well. So I'm a pad brat, uh, moved around the, you know, the usual routes, Germany, um uh, all this sort of the, the major RAF bases um he was air crew um he had a very really cool career um he actually started off in the navy in the um the fleet air arm um uh, flying sea kings and then uh, on to Canberra's which was joint RAF um navy it was a, a navigator observer in the navy um and got a fast jet recommendation from Canberra's and so switched over to the Air Force to, uh, to be a backseater on Tornado. Um, so was flying um, Tornado GR1s, uh, doing all the um, JP233 missions in the first Gulf, you know, that, that sort of good stuff. When we were out in Germany, I was just a nipper at the time, but I remember it quite distinctly. Uh, and being quite influenced by that, you know, it's, it was cool stuff, you know, even for a young kid. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, going to primary school and stuff and seeing, you know, tornadoes ripping overhead is, is a cool thing to see when you're, when you're young. Yeah, that's pretty full on to the, uh, so like, and then, um, do you stay yeah, well, in, in Germany or does that, do you go back when, uh, you sort of start higher education or anything like that? Yeah. So we, um, so after the first golf, we went, came back to the UK, my dad switched to rotary cause he had a rotary background in, um, in the Navy flying pumas, went, went to Northern Ireland and, um, and stuff doing that. Um, and then, uh, and, and through which, uh, basically we went to, me and my brother went to boarding school when we hit that sort of secondary school age uh, in Somerset, uh, quite popular with military families, um, which was, which was re- I absolutely loved it. I thrived there. Um, quite adventurous, not very academic. Again, similar story to what we've heard before. Bit of a jack of all trades, master of none, had no real idea what I would want to do as, a, as an individual direction or, or vocation, which meant the military really appealed to me uh, from an early age. And again, you know, lots of my mates at school, their, their parents were, were military as well. So it always seemed like it was a pretty, pretty obvious thing to do. My exposure was flying, you know, through my, through my old man. He ended up um, on a Chinook, uh, frontline Chinook squadron. He was spec air crew, so was flying his whole career. So while I was at school, he was on um, a frontline Chinook squadron doing... Um, the really early Herricks and Telex um, as well. So even as a 50-year-old bloke, he was, you know, he was amongst it, which was, which was, I was fascinated by, you know, and really enjoyed his stories. 
but that got me interested in the other side of it as well. You know, the, the, the people jumping out the back of the, the, um, the Chinooks, you know, as well as, um, as well as those flying them. So I, I had a look at, and it, what my dad was really good at doing was telling me to get out and have a look. Don't just consider what, you know, what he'd done as a normal, get out and have a look. He'd been in the Navy, go and have a look at the Navy, go and have a look at the army, um, which I, which I did. So I had basically applied for all three services when I was in the sixth form. Um, university didn't, didn't, didn't appeal to me. I, 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 because I couldn't pick a single subject to go and do it seemed like a waste of time, um, for me. So I applied for all three services while I was at, at school. Um, what appealed to me about the Navy, I went and had a look and one, one job in particular appealed to me, which was the mine clearance diving. Okay. What a great job. You know, that looked mint, you know, cruising around the world, diving great, you know, mine, you know, mine with a bomb disposal nails <laughs> underwater. What? You know, these, these like guys are just, you know, it's just awesome. Um, awesome. So that, that appealed to me. Um, I had a look at the army, but the army was just, it was a bit too, it was almost too big to look at, you know, um, just the, the idea of just line infantry didn't really appeal to me because there's so much you can do in the military, just doing that, that one thing, being an infantry and not, not knowing, you know, this is coming from a, from, from total ignorance as like a 16 year old kid, you know, um, so I just looked, I looked around and tried to see what I could do. Things like the Gurkhas really appealed to me again. That's, that's a, that's a made up job, isn't it? You know, going out to the pool, seeing the other, wow, that's just awesome. Um, but uh, I suppose what caught my eye really was the art- was the artillery, just because, again, from a layman's point of view, they had a bit of everything. You know, they had airborne units, commander units, armoured units, you know, just a bit of everything, you know, the ceremonial stuff. So that appealed. So I, I sort of followed that path a little bit and I went and did um, some acquaintance courses with them and got sponsored through them for a commission. I, I was looking to try and get a commission. I just scraped enough a levels um to to qualify for a commission so i was after that and i was always looking to do quite a short career get in enjoy it you know roll around in the mud a bit and get out uh which which then when i was looking at the air force um put me off flying flying looked and is nails you know you as, as everyone in this community is aware these guys are you know have some serious capacity uh, which which i just i just sort of doesn't really again uh, i don't really think i'm capable of and the prospect of, you know, particularly on fast jet squadrons, those guys go through some serious training. It takes a long time for them to get onto a frontline squadron. Every day is a chop day. You know, what, what those guys go through is really remarkable. Um, and so, you know, just to, I don't think that really suited me. So the only thing in the Air Force, therefore, that did appeal to me was the RAF Regiment. Um, so I had a look. And again, variety. They had, you know, an airborne unit. They had light armor at the time, ceremonial units. Uh, CBRN sounds cool to a civvy. We all know different, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, you know they had um, uh, the, the ground to air stuff as well. So there was a lot going on, a lot of opportunity. But what swung it for me? I went on all these visits, and what swung it for me, hands down, was the people, and uh, not just not just um, the people running the visits and doing the you know that were showing you around. Although the attitude was different, like distinctly different. Um, it was very much a case of uh, when I went to the Air Force um, visits, it was a case of your interest in what we're doing. Good on you. Come and have a look at how mega it is. Come and have a look. Come and see. Come and be a part of the club. And I, I tended to find when I was going on the, all the army visits, it was very much like, so you think you're good enough to come and see me, do you? And you got sort of dragged. And I just, well, it's fine. But um, the other people that were also going through the system, the other people on the visits, 
I just, you know, I mean, bearing in mind this was 2006, that sort of time when I got, but you know, I'd, I'd done a bit of traveling when I left school. Um, so obviously people were joining up because stuff was going on. People were away, you know, you were always going to go away. And the type of people that were coming on the visits with me in Air Force just really appealed. So I, I was fortunate enough to get offered a slot at all three services. And I went for the, um, went for the RAF because, uh, just based on that, really, I, I, I might as well have flipped yeah. the coin. Yeah, um, no, I like that. I like the, the idea of the people, not just the people you were meeting, but obviously the people that were like-minded that were arriving there was part of the decision. That's, that, that's pretty cool. So, obviously, yeah. you've made your choice, um, and I'm, I'm sure there was times when it was re- uh, you were regretting it going through training, but uh, <laughs> I don't think it would have been any better anywhere else. So, um, you go through the RF Regiment Officer Pipeline, I know that obviously that's quite a long period of time and you can sort of touch on that as much as or as little as you want to. But what does it look like coming off the street and ending up as a flight commander on an RF regiment squadron? Um, well, it was interesting. Uh, at the time, and again, familiar to some of the other stories that I've heard you guys say, is they didn't really know what that meant. You know, I was, I, I was going along this journey because I was looking forward to finding out, not because I knew what it, what it looked like. And uh, like you said, you know, there are times on training when you regret things, but I loved it from the start. I was doing, you know, I, I was using my brain for practical service, problem solving, doing all that kind of stuff, rather than writing essays and stuff, um, which never occurred. So I loved it from the start. Um, I really did. And uh, as you mentioned, it's quite a long, long process in the IF regiment. It was even longer for me because they, they, they have a hot, we had a hold. Um, my uh, when I when I commissioned out of um, uh, Cranwell, there was a there was a, there was a gap. I'd missed the start of my next my phase two training, so I had to hold for nine months before the next. That's one. interesting. We've got uh, went up to a, a holding officer where we are at the moment, holding for the same sort of thing. I just didn't until that. I'd never heard it before. So, where did you hold? Yeah, RF Leeming. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and I went because thirty four squadron RF regiment, thirty four squadron up at um, up at RF Leeming, and uh, they were away in Iraq at the time. So I was just this holding officer bouncing around in um, in the shed there, and um, I played a lot of rugby, really, you know, uh, which was great. I went on load bags of eighty, all the stuff that you join up thinking you can do all the time. The only people that can do this are holding officers. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I was quite pleased for the opportunity. I got really fit. I really enjoyed myself. Um, and of course, at the time, RF Leeming had the um, had the F3s. Um, the tunnel F3s were there. So the bar was just buzzing. You know, there was air crew. There was, you know, there's air traffic. Another beauty, a beautiful thing about RAF stations versus army stations is you've got, you've got that variety of those those people. Um, and it was brilliant. Again, Jets taking a full time. Of course, Jay Faxi were there. It was a four-week course at the time. And um, there was a... Um, a really good guy, uh, flight lieutenant. Uh, he went off to do some pretty cool stuff afterwards. Was on this JTAC course there at the time, and he saw me, you know, boozing about the bar. I was like, "Do you want to come along for um, for a day on the hill?" So I, so I, so I got to go along. It was actually it was Prince Harry's course, which is which is probably the reason I was more interested <laughs> in sort of going sticking my nose in yeah. there than than I was about JTAC. I had no idea what what sort of fucking was at the time as it was then. And I went on down the hill, and it was just brilliant. It was. Um, live uh on otterburn um and it was joint fires with some uh a mortar mortar platoon that were that were there as well so just drifting between you know again you know brand new to the military and suddenly i'm on this hill 
I've got Prince Harry calling in live jets, strafing the, that bridge at Otterberg with mortars going. I was like, this is, <laughs> this is mega. You know, and I've been taken there by this RAF regiment flight lieutenant. So I was like, yeah, I'm in. You know, that, that looks, that looks yeah, mega. Just have to nip Jays. Uh, but exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just, just. Just have to admit, James. Which, of course, by that time, I, I you know, I'd understood, I, I'd heard, I'd heard, I, I knew what was coming. You know, I, I had the reputation of it. And actually, believe it or not, um, I listened to your first podcast with uh, with our cider, who was my DS. Yeah. <laughs> so he beasted me, and um, which was great. You know, I actually really enjoyed listening to him and uh, getting a bit more about him, which was great. So uh, I got beasted by um, by, by cider on Jays. But again, I thought I loved it. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, which I'm sure he will attest to, as will everyone that was on it. But I just loved it. You know, I was fit enough, put the kit on my back, just went, got on with all the blokes. Just had a really, you know, really good time of it. Uh, but popped out in uh, 2008. Obviously, the, you know, um, the, the, the regiment were deployed in um, Iraq and Afghanistan at the same time. We, and it was just a matter of you popped straight out. The, 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 you know, we had guys that finished, finished on Jays, the best blokes finished and were on a plane by Monday you know, out to um, Iraq and Afghan. And um, that's how we got, we get allocated our squadrons at the time. It was like the better blokes went onto the squadrons that were going straight away. And those that needed a bit of development just, you know, would go to those that were slightly further down the pipe. Yeah, still coming though. And I was really, yeah, <laughs> I was really, really lucky. Um, I got onto a squadron that had just been stood up for the role. So um, it was, it was filled. I was an acting pilot officer. You know, I joined it. I joined at twenty, so I was a bit of a uber sprog compared to everyone else. And um, they filled the squadron with brand new blokes out of training. Um, so I had a I had a really um, really experienced sergeant. I had some really good junior NCOs, and then every one of my 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 soldiers was a brand new LAC fresh out of. Training, and you may think that's you know that that's a sort of uh, a curse, but it was it was brilliant. They were eager, they were fit, they knew their drills, but you know the basic drills backwards because they'd just come fresh out of getting having having them hammered in, and they they they'd basically only ever seen one officer before. They got bollocking by a corporal. They were they they were you know they they thought they were in trouble. So by the time they got to a son, by the time they were walking into my office. They were they were rigid. So for my job, you know, normally you expect to walk onto a squadron as a as a brand new flight commander, and you just get beasted. But I um I got really lucky, and the other the other flight commanders were fresh off my J's as well, so I knew them really well. So I've had a bit of a gifted start, and and we started day one, week one on PDT. So it was six months of PDT with my flight, and we just we went through it day one, week one, built ourselves up. So by the time we stepped out the door, we um. We did. We were in a good. We were in a good place. Went out to Kandahar, um, and had a really good tour. You know, I, I, at the time you don't really know. I didn't know. You know, you didn't know what you were doing. You know, you just presume that everyone, everyone's doing the same thing. You're hearing all the stories. You're getting all the J2 and the, the 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 information about what's going on in all the other AOs and Helmands and stuff. But we were really lucky. Um, about you know some of the jobs that we got were really good. Um, Considering the you know the circumstances, and I remember on one of them, um, I got I was getting talked talked onto a hotspot by this jet, and I couldn't tell you what the jet was because at the time I just I, I, I didn't know because I was my mind was blown that I was talking to a bloke on the radio who was the TAP at the time, um, Sam I think he's um, he's been mentioned a couple of times as well, who um, was talking to a jet you know that's <laughs> insane, who's talking me onto 
you know, a hotspot situation on the ground. I was like, this is ridiculous. In fact, it made me think, actually, I didn't, I didn't use it properly. And I never asked for it as a flight commander. Because on Jays, you're never given... I hope it's changed now. And actually, I later went on and did a training job at, um, as, at Sandhurst, and I took this with me. You, you're always taught to use the basics, which I, which I massively agree with, and we'll talk about that when it comes to JTACing. But when it comes to training troops, particularly junior officers, particularly you know, um, NCOs, you've got, to, you've got to bring into your training scenarios assets that they are actually going to use. Because, of course, we were always told, you know, everything was at flight level. It was like, can I have mortars? No. All right, okay, yeah. Can I have, you know, guns? No. Oh, oh, can I have javelin? No. And it's because they wanted you to go through the basics and learn how to do the basics well. But what it meant was when I popped out the other side, the very idea of having jets, having mortars, having guns, having all these assets, which is so foreign, it never occurred to me in my planning. It never occurred to me in my thing. So I think, I think that was a bit of a shame. And suddenly I'm out in Afghan with all the assets, you know, at your beck and call and just massively underused them. And if it wasn't for the TAP-P at the time, who was throwing these things at us and, and doing all that stuff for us, um, you know, I, I, it wouldn't have crossed my mind at all. So um, uh, when I went to Sandhurst as an instructor there, I, I, I did it a lot. You know, I, I, I included it. I didn't make, I didn't try, try to blow their mind, but just make them aware, you know, have you considered this? Have you considered it? It's there. It's available for you. You know, go on and do yeah. it. So, it's interesting you mentioned, obviously, um, uh, yeah. cider um, and that sort of cadre they, when I came back through the cycle for my um, next promotion course, they were there and they would include that if you requested it and you requested it correctly, you would be supported by assets. But obviously you, what's interesting about that is the people, the, the group of people going through my course obviously knew what that was because we were already in that role. As, as, and so yeah. we were like, yeah, I know how to request these things because I do this anyway. So, we were putting the requests in and, and getting supported, which was which was good, was good. Um, so, you obviously, you go away on your first tour, and, and you've joined at a wonderful time, sort of military-wise. I guess um, maybe people are looking at it differently to you and I. But uh, you come back off that tour. Is there a what drives you over into the ALI community? Is there a? I mean, obviously, you've met Prince Harry and all of that. That's sort of, that could be the catalyst, but I don't. It doesn't sound like it is. What's the catalyst that takes you across? Um, the, the desperation not to go into staff work was was a big one. I know that sounds that, that sounds quite good, but obviously an officer's an officer's you know trodden path obviously is into the HQs, it's into staff work, it's into, and my my intention was to do a short a short career and get as much out of it as I possibly could, and I never looked beyond my first job, and and you know people don't people join particularly, you know, in the officer um, sort of call, they join because for that first job. They want to be a platoon commander. They want to be a flight commander. They want to get, get on a troop or whatever it is they want to do. And that's that's what you focus on. And suddenly you pop out the other side and you go, oh, my God, someone's going to stick me in a HQ or so They're going to, you know, I'm going to find myself doing, you know, um, a discipline or, or... At the time, I didn't want to go into training either. In fact, I, I, I put that off far too long in my career and I, re I regret it. But So I wanted to stay tactical i wanted to stay busy and the, the two options for a junior officer then were basically mortars or um or jtech and jtech it wasn't it wasn't very well known because i'd had that early uh, foot in the door um in my hold and i'd been i'd you know I'd, I'd spent quite a bit of time chatting to the tap out in in afghan when i was there i knew it was there and i knew i wanted to do it um so my my squadron re-rolled when i when, when i got back 
um, and I got a chance to get do pre para and get my go, um, you know, do the do the airborne route, which was which was really fortunate. Not a lot of people get that opportunity again, especially in the sort of officer world, uh, which I loved, really thoroughly enjoyed it, and that that showed, I think, my chain of command that I wanted to stay captain. I wanted to be physical. I wanted to get out and do it. And I just, I just kept asking, and I, I got it at the time. We were, they were introducing the airland integration officers onto the force protection wing headquarters as they were, as they were going around. And um, so I managed to snag one of those. Um, my boss looked after me, you know. Uh, I grafted for him, and he he looked after me and, and got me that posting. So it was my second, it was my second posting. You know, I came um, came straight back from tour, spent about six months re-rolling the squadron, um, and then. Um, then, then, then went went to went to J Factory. I think um... along alongside about four of my mates, we who had all sort of you know from across the region from my J Rock, uh, we sort of turned up on mass, which was. I think really... uh, this question I've been asked here, like it's coming in on live on the Instagram, but I think it's obviously in reference to the TAC P world and J tacking, but it's just because of what you've just said that I'm going to read it to you, and it says, "Is the concept of having officers." in a two-year post, uh, counterintuitive due to the return of service. Now, I know that the person's asked that question related, but it's just the way, obviously, the statement that you just made. I, I completely agree with that, absolutely. And this is, this is where I think the RAF regiment um, has, got it, uh, ha, has got it right in some, in some respects. You know, I, I'm, I've worked across the military, and I'm very, very purple in my, my outlook on the military. Um, but I think what the Irish Regiment does and where I consider myself to be very fortunate is the fact that I got some 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 longevity and some return of service out of my air land integration career, which I'm, ne- I'm fortunate enough to still be still be involved in. Um, it's because, because, you know, exact, you're exactly right. It takes it takes 12 months to make anyone um, useful. And um, it, it did with me. Um, but. We always got told, you know, well, I got told when I went into it, you do realise that you're going to get two tours out of this. And it's yeah. almost like a warning. You know, you know, it was like, oh, are you sure you want to get into JTAC and you'll do two tours? I was like, bloody, thank God. Yeah, it was, it was, it's, an, it's another two years of not finding myself in the HQ, yeah. put my name down. Um, so, yeah, that was that was really fortunate. Of course, a lot of the guys on my course and stuff were, were other cat badge that, that got in did it but they need they you know they, it was imperative that they got back to core business otherwise their career just stopped uh, particularly from an officer perspective so um I, I did consider myself fortunate that the rf regiment were going to back me to to crack on so yeah um yeah and um so so I, yeah I, I got into um got up to j faxi did the course and all the other courses that go along with it you know like people talk about that but you bounce straight onto the TACP course, straight onto the Joint Fires courses down at Lark Hill, the, the Tactical Air Battle Controllers courses up in, you know, and I just put, I, I was up for it. So I just went on every course going. Um, by that point, I'd been moved out to Wilbing headquarters. So I didn't have any troops to have to look after. In fact, Pete, who was on one of your podcasts recently as well, obviously was 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 on the squadron um, that I was associated to as the JTAC. So we sort of bounced around, you know, our exercises. Um, Is that a the good time. early days of, um, before the airland integration cell, like pulls everybody to get. It, it, exactly. So we were out on the squadrons and the wings um, and there was a centralized uh, sub fac uh, back at the, back at Honington. 
um, who would basically plan all the exercises uh, on all that, which, which made it a dream for, for me. I was out on the wing headquarters, basically Lynham and then RF Bryce Norton, living like a king because my, my wing commander presumed I was busy doing, you know, planning exercises and all that kind of stuff, when actually all that was being done at Honington. Uh, and so I was just bouncing from courses to exercises that someone else was planning. And he was really good at it. You know, very experienced bloke that was running these exercises. Calling in there, then I'd go go home again. It was a dream. <laughs> it was an absolute dream. Um, so that was great. And then and, and I was very lucky then at the end of that, um, at the end of that period, I, I, I got extended to good to deploy on Herrick 17 uh, with four brigade and four, four regiment artillery um, into their... Um, into a into a sort of deliberate targeting job there, uh, which was outstanding. Again, I absolutely loved it. Um, got got really lucky. Stacks of that, you know, it's a bit of a JTAC dream, really. You know, those jobs you get stacks of assets. You, you get really well looked after. Loads of controls, you know, and um, really fascinating insight into into an, into another world. So you've obviously, you've been you've been spoiled rotten as it sounds, obviously going through your training and get to go on all these exercises, but not just that, but while you're downrange as well. What, what was your favourite platform to operate with in all that time? Um, I, for, for me, uh, the UK AH, um, something about a Hellfire followed up by 30 mil is just awesome. You know, all the all the tension and all the sort of you know th- that goes with getting that hellfire off and getting it right and getting it accurate, followed up with thirty mil, and you could tell, you could really tell those um, those crews that were really good with the cannon. You know, that first round, that first splash with the cannon was good, and it just you really deep. You know, ev- I mean, everyone in the in the aircrew world that I've ever dealt with have been very fortunate. I've been incredibly professional. But those guys are just so sharp and so on you. Their decision-making is so spot on. And I have worked with a lot of other assets, which were very good, but really, really keen, really eager. And you've got to work almost just as hard to maintain their yeah. eagerness and their sort of you know, willingness and make sure they are fully read into the, 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 the level of the situation that, that you're in and the, the, what it all means on the ground. And you just had to, I just had to, I was full of confidence every time working with those AH blades. So I, um, I really enjoyed that. And, um, but I will, I will, I do want to drop a bit of credit to uh, the MQ9 guys as well. Um, I know that again, it's, it's sort of flip, flip flops because as a CAS platform, it's often not uh, the, the platform of choice. Um, but obviously it, it loiters around, everyone knows they're, they're well read into the picture. But, but for me, the, the decision-making and the pressure that's on those blokes when they pull that trigger and there's a 35-second time of flight for that weapon system before it hits the ground, so much could change, so much, and they're just so tuned in to that situation and so aware of what's going on and they've had the confidence in the balls to, 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 to understand that and make that decision. That is huge. You know, I was thinking <laughs> it and I'm not, you know, and... Uh, you know, um, so I I, I wanted I wanted to sort of say that I always I was always in, in awe of that. Um, but as far as a platform of choice, CAS platform of choice, you know, the UKH guys were just were just mega. Really enjoyed working. If you with uh, if you could go go back yeah. and, and speak to yourself, like go back and say, hey Al, here's a here's a few top tips. Obviously, um, 
what would you go back and tell yourself? You know, I know obviously there's some things that can be taught and there's some skills, you know, that you can only, you know, only get from repetitions and stuff. But what would, how, what would you give yourself to set yourself up for success? Um, I got, I got hammered really early actually by my, by myself. Like I got beasted. Um, so I got, um, I learned very quick. I learned very quickly and very hard, which we, which which I would recommend to edit to anybody. In fact, I've heard someone else talk about it. If you, oh, uh, back in. Um, I, I, basically, that that aircrew mentality. I, I put it down to aircrew mentality, having worked a lot with the army about debriefs, the brutality of debriefs, and understanding, you know, the 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 seriousness of what you're doing requires you to be told when something's shit and when something's, you know, good, when, when you've is, is vital because not, not only does it help you learn and make sure you understand and, and go on and be better, but it also um, highlights the, um, the severity of what you're doing. And it, I think I cottoned onto that quite quickly, but it certainly was a shock, you know, and then, and I, I used to obviously been in the Air Force, I've got a lot of Air Force mates, a lot of air crew mates and, and listening to them and they, they, they share that. That's how they, that's how they do business. It's because every time they, you know, get an aircraft, it's, it's serious business. And then when you go and work with the army, I tended to find when I was working with the army, you always win. You know, every, <laughs> okay, every yeah. exercise you do with the army, like you, you come out, you come out the other side of that, that exercise, the victor. You know, like you plan an exercise at the end, you're going to, you know, you're going to raid the village and you're going to win. Yeah. Um, and I think that can be sometimes, un- you know, unhealthy. Um, people don't get used to losing and, and learning from those mistakes and learning from how that works. Um, you know, it's every uh, control is not an OJAR moment. You know, it's, it's, it's time to learn and, and be good. Um, so embrace that don't just survive it embrace it i think i'd probably say to myself um but from an earlier from an earlier stage if you if you wanted to obviously you're talking about you know the way you saw things in different locations but if you want to dispel a myth about the way we do our business or about from outsiders looking in possibly to move the needle a little bit for our community what would that myth that you'd want to get rid of would what would that be um it would Probably, and we're quite good in, in, in our community, but I, I suppose it's when it's applying, applying it to other things. It's, um, it's, the, it's cat badgeisms, I think. I've seen that across my career, both in the ALI world and, uh, and not. Um, is the, is, is the, the, you know, there's a lot of assumptions. There's a lot of you know, people, people see a cat badge and go, oh, right, okay. You know, I, I had a career in the IF regiment. You know, I, I, I got very used to it. But I see, I see it applied acro- across the, the way, and including platforms, nations, you know, um, uh, that, that kind of thing, sort of sweeping statements. And having worked with a lot, a lot of cat badges, a lot of nations, a lot of platforms, you realise, particularly, you know, inter- um, within the UK, there's good, there's good deeds and there's bad deeds absolutely everywhere you go, um, you know. And uh, it's very easy to turn around and go, oh, it's yeah, yeah. I knew, I knew he'd be a wanker because he's, yeah. he's, he's wearing that. And you just, you, we've got so much more in common than we do, you know, uh, uh, as differences. And uh, I've always been quite optimistic, and I think, um, I think. Uh, I think I promote that. I just say that that optimism, 
uh, will get you a long way. Um, particularly, you know, um, another t- tip I'll tell myself again is, is, is the face to face, you know, getting on the phone um, to the to the crews after you've controlled and getting those 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 debriefs, those hot debriefs. Um, that optimism, that willingness to learn, that kind of thing, and 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 being open to every bit of feedback from whoever's given it to you um, is, is really important. So I think the myth of cat we have uh, that surround cat badges and stuff. I think I'd try and dispel. Yeah, I think yeah. that's just like that's got to be like the the number one thing is that we're all stronger together than we are apart. And I think it was Pimp that was saying that, you know, never miss a debrief. Like his unit was based, you know, a a mile away from the strip on Vegas, but they still went to the debrief and they still stood at the bar and chatted with the pilots. You know, it wasn't, let's not race away. Let's, let's get better at what we're doing. So, you know, if you can maintain that mindset, you're going to, you're on off to a good end. I've got two more lighthearted questions. First one, I'm not sure how long we'll spend answering this one. It says, (laughs) Um, I think it might be your friend. Um, why is he so ridiculously good looking? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna park that, <laughs> and I'll leave that up to other people's opinions. But obviously, I know all the boys around you, and obviously that you've their interactions. And I know we tend to uh, turn our officers bad in in this community, or certainly the higher command would probably tell me that we do it to them. We poison you all. But obviously, we're all drinking black coffee and whiskey. What, what's your uh, What's your choice? Are you a snob in that way? No, um, I'm a bit of a, I'm quite circumstantial. So like I will, I'll drink, um, depend, depends for, for the circumstance. So uh, when I'm at home, um, I, I don't know what I've got into quite recently is small beer. It's, it's like low AVB beer, but it's really tasty. And I mean, you can have one on a, on a school night um, there and they come as a stubby, really tasty, really nice. So they're nice. I like, like to have them at home. Uh, but then when I'm, you know, um, when I'm at a pub, I like a Cornish ale, you know, local ale, I'll, um, I'll get amongst that. And then if, you know, I'll have a cocktail after dinner and then I'll, um, I like the rum when I'm out on a night out. So it's quite, so, you know, I'll, 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 I'm quite up, up for trying things out as well. So, you know, when you go, if you go to a particular debt or a particular unit or a particular someone, they have a particular drink, I'll, I'll get amongst it. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Um, drink for every occasion. Very eclectic. Uh, a drinker. <laughs> co- coffee wise, I was never into coffee um, until I started um, chasing this particular bird. And um, I went on holiday. I went on holiday with it early doors. I committed early and went down to the south of France and they were all having, you know, croissants and coffee. So naturally I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, never, never been a coffee drinker. But from uh, from then on, I was like, oh, actually, I'm, this is all right, yeah. So, yeah. Um, but again, quite circumstantial. I'll have coffee in the, you know. Uh, yeah, this job has turned me into a coffee snob. <laughs> I would, like I wasn't a coffee guy before I started this, and now it's like it has to be just right. So, it's yeah. done it to me. If uh, so, when you're running a, a job and that, and you're out there, uh, JTACking at you at cribs in a notebook kind of guy, because I know, uh, obviously generationally what was given to you at the school is slightly different but obviously coming out the other side of that everyone looks kind of different yeah well i've noticed that i've i've um i've got back into i've got back into the airline world i left the raf last year after my job uh, after my last job at uh, training at sandhurst and i've got I've, I've joined the army reserve to get back into jtacking um so um I, so I, i'm starting again now after a few years out um and I've instinctively got, you know, got my notebook back out and um, I've gone and found my old 
uh, my old setup, and I had one of those really small Nyrexes, the tiny ones, and I cut a hole in the side of it and stuck one of those, you know, those red waterproof notebooks in it. That would go in there, and then I'd use the pages for reds and for, you know, the other sort of documents. So everything's on a notebook, and it means you can go back and have a look at what you've done. You can scribble it down and stuff, but when you need those references, they're, they're, there, they're there staring at you, and you can just get to them quite quickly. So I'll um, and I'll continue to. I think I'll continue. To, I need to update everything, obviously, but I will continue to use that. I think it was quite flexible. So I'm quite old school. Yeah, I, I like. Uh, I like obviously the portion where you were saying about you've been over to Sandhurst and stuff like that. I think um, one thing the RF Regiment does really well is obviously it's there's a broad amount of jobs, so you can jump around. But I think what happens with a lot of us, especially in the JTAC community, so this is outside of just our um, the RF Regiment, is that you become very purple. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Uh, and I'd, I'd say, so after um, after my tour, uh, my second tour, I went down to, to the commander brigade and, and had a, I, I, I got really well looked after down there. Uh, I had a really good time down there. And you, you experience the other side of it. So you're talking about purple, you know, you, you, you're going on board, you, you know, you're talking to, you're working with people that are bringing in naval gunfire. Um, and one of the best things I have done in the military, hands down, was an exercise uh, called Kaz Alps down in the uh, down in the French Alps. Um, it's, uh, the, the the guys at uh, the Commander Brigade go go quite regularly, and we too, and you work with the French um, Al, the, the French Alpine uh, artillery and the uh, the Italian Alpine. I think some of the other um, uh, uh, European nations get involved. And they do a summer and a winter one. I went on the winter one and it was just outstanding out in these ranges, out in the Alps, virgin snow, taught, you know, dragged around um, uh, uh, the, the Alps in, in a BV, chasing Italians through the trees on skis, bringing in jets through the mountains, you know, and, and um, th- that, that was really challenging, really exciting, hands down one of the best things I've ever done because you're working with, Army, Navy, Air Force, French, Italians, you know, or international jets, just what an awesome opportunity. And there's not a lot of opportunities in the military wide where you get to do that kind of thing. That's that's no. And I I love the the fact that we've had so many different nations on and I've got so many other nations coming in and and like joining in already and saying, oh, we want to come on and tell our story. And I'm like, yeah, this is just this is exactly what this community is about. What was the biggest change then for you? Obviously, I think it's interesting. Obviously, you're looking to come back to it. You're cycling back in. So that's probably a unique perspective. What's the biggest change from the first time to now? Uh, well, I've only really just sort of just got back in and I'll be coming up to the schoolhouse again to try and to start again, you know, and um, I am looking forward to starting again. I come, I come as a clean sheet, you know, ready to, ready to start again. But I've been trying to pick the brains of the guys that are down at the battery where I am now just to see what has changed. But what I remember is the basics, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the, the peripheral stuff, a lot of the technology and stuff is, is what I've since forgotten in my time out of the ALI world, even when I was in the ALI world, but not controlling. Um, I forgot all that stuff, but what I have remembered and I got thrown under the bus a bit last, uh, a couple of weeks ago when I went, uh, I went, I t- turned up and I had a SIM. And uh, I hadn't touched anything. I just got light in your go. And I was like, <clears throat> absolutely flapping. And I just got the map out and went back to basics and pulled, you know, and, and, and managed to stutter my way through it. So 
the ultimately the basics haven't changed i know that's not well wasn't your question your question was what has changed um and i'm yet to find out i'm looking forward to finding out but what i'm pretty confident hasn't changed is those is those basics yeah um, i think that's yeah. i mean that is probably a better answer i know to, to it because it tells everybody that if you're mastering those you know look what what can be achieved you can come back into this you can you can always rely on those to serve you well in the long term I was, um, I was, I had a bit of an example of that um, that I thought of the other day when I was listening to to one of your podcasts, um, and um, out a bit of a herrick here, unfortunately. But I was out um, um, and working the target, and we had two two tornadoes up um, with a pod, dead easy, quite straightforward. Um, all the targeting done, been done, really. Again, we were just waiting for an opportunity. Um, uh, where there'd been, you know, that, that was that was just right to strike. When the number one had to go and refuel, so we went off to the tanker. Number two swings in on the radio. It's like, hi, um, I've not really been following what's going on. I was like, what? It's like, well, I, ha- I haven't got a pod. I was like, right, okay. He's like, so where is he? I was like, what? So I've got this. I was like, what? He's like, well, I've got my cannon and, I, and I'm I'm ready to go. So I um. So I so I went so I went through a day one week one talk on Mark one eyeball from about fifteen thousand feet in southern Afghanistan, you know, with this with this bloke with his eyes out the window. And it, actually, um, Gary, a friend of mine, I'm sure that, that everyone knows, was 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 on a local TACP at the time and got his SIG TACP signal over and said, "Listen to that," because there we were in southern Afghanistan doing a day one week one talk one, you know, talk on Fido out the window you know, um, stuff. So it matters. Um, and I'm glad I got beasted on it and I'm glad it's the things I remember because it, um, find yourself doing it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, a, it's a good story to, to make a good point. So a bit more lighthearted then, um, I'm going to go to the old desert Island JTAC. If you, uh, put on a desert Island, still got to do your job. Um, and I give you a, a radio and a set of ansils. What three other items do you take with you? I've probably given it away a bit about being old school. It's got to be a, a map, a compass, a silver compass as well. Yeah, and um, I'm going. I, I'm going with the mechanical pencil oh, yeah. because I was listening. I was listening to to your pod. Yeah, yeah, with a with a with a rubber on the end of it, with an eraser on the end of it, because otherwise you're screwed, aren't you? Um, yeah, absolutely. You, you have a nightmare. So I, that's how I'm going to refine that. I'm sorry, not a very imaginative answer. No, I so. like it. Uh, uh... I, I just cool. the, the bit that intrigues me is the silver compass. It has to be a silver compass. You're very yeah. brand aware there. Well, you know what you know what I mean. Not like a prismatic <laughs> compass or something. You know, I just want a you know. Want, 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 yeah, it's, you're just not the only person to say it. So I think obviously there's a uh, there's a, a thing about that 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 style of compass or the let the way it's laid out that people you know it's they a like familiarity. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Al, I, obviously I I really appreciate you taking the time, and you know we could go on here probably for another hour or so. But uh, if you were to have one closing thought across the whole community, the entire community that, that's inv- invested in this, what would it be? Um, it's got to be that uh, a, a combination of open-mindedness and optimism will open open op- doors of opportunity. Um, the, the jets are hard to come by. Assets are hard to come by. Training's hard to come by. If you if you if, if you sit and try and grind your way through 
one group and book air and stuff. But if you just if you're open minded and you're, you're you're interested, and you you can opportunities will come flooding if you if you go looking for them. So if you what I what I found myself doing was calling up training areas and finding out who's on exercise and then calling the bloke on exercise and saying you're on exercise do you want a, do you want some air do you want a jtac to come with you and never got i never heard no and i don't just mean like in the uk going to soldier plane or whatever find out who's going abroad do you want to take a jtac with you do find out what mega course what mega exercises are going on out there from units that again this comes back to my um uh myth busting cat badge thing you know fight like that every unit out there is doing something cool. Give them a call. Ask if they want a, 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 an ALO, a JTAC, or whatever, and they will say yes. And your chain of command will have a hard time saying no about yeah. letting you go. Yeah. Um, and the second you do that, the world's your oyster, you know. And like I said, the military are doing cool stuff. All of it is doing cool stuff. So, so go and do it. Find a way to go and do it. It's probably yeah. That's a, it's probably my sort of that's thought, a very yeah. unique answer. And I, and I think that's, that's brilliant. You think that anyone that's listening and you're in this world, go and try that. Try that for the next 12 to 18 months yeah. and just come back and tell us how successful you were because that's a, that's a brilliant answer at the end there. Um, Al, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.